Digital. Student-centered. Creative. Innovation. Imagination. Initiative. Stories that matter. I'm Jo Elliott, and this is Tales of Teaching Online, brought to you by Deakin Learning Futures. Hi everyone, uh, we're joined today by Audrey Statham, a casual academic from the School of Education and Audrey is going to share her experience with us of that rapid transition to teaching online when you don't have a lot of prior online teaching experience and you're also a sessional staff member. So Audrey, um, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up teaching at Deakin? Sure, thanks Joe. Um, hi everyone, it's great to be here. I've been working at Deakin since around about mid-2014. I'm an early career researcher, which means that I'm still within um, five years of getting my PhD. My PhD was in um, philosophy of education, specifically looking at what democratic education might look like in schools, in Australian schools. I ended up teaching at Deakin, like many other university teachers, through my connection to my supervisor, who is also a lecturer at that time. I'm now an associate professor in the School of Education. And what kind of teaching do you do within the school? Can you tell us a little bit about the unit? Sure. Well, like many sessionals, um, like many university teachers, I teach a bunch of different units. So the units that I have sort of mainly had a lot of experience in is with student teachers. So that is students who are wanting to go into schools to teach young Australians. But then the longer I've been at Deakin, the more you get to know people, you start to pick up different sorts of units. And so more recently, I've been working, teaching into a degree called the associate degree. So the associate degree is for students who ordinarily might not be able to access university because maybe they haven't done so well in their ATAR or they dropped out of school or they're mature age students wanting to return to school. So from being primarily student teacher focused in terms of my cohort, the sorts of students that I teach has widened. I teach a lot of first year students. I also teach master's level students. So the longer I've been at Deakin, the wider the scope of the nature of teaching I've done and also the different levels in terms of age groups as well. So it sounds like some of the, uh, the classes that you're teaching and some of the students that you're teaching um, might need some extra consideration when you're doing that online. How did transitioning your teaching online in trimester one impact on your teaching experience? So there are similarities and challenges between teaching face-to-face -face and teaching online for university teachers like myself. It's usually a matter of trying to promote engagement of students with the content, but also engagement with you as a tutor and engagement with each other. There's also the challenge of trying to wrestle with them to be not overly focused on assessment. Um, what you have as an advantage with face-to-face -face teaching is that you have the dimension of that personal relationship that you can foster. We're communicating kind of on a hidden level almost. Whereas you're kind of suddenly you're faced when you're going online, you don't have access to that dimension, which is really, really um, shaping the way that you interact all the time. In many ways, going into online teaching trimester one, I thought, look, this is just not going to be possible. Um, it's going to be really hard. And it was hard. So I guess for myself, it was a matter of taking the sorts of pedagogy and the sorts of activities that I would, I'd usually do face to face and trying to match them to the possibilities of BB Collaborate. For me, a big learning curve was 
finding out all about what BB Collaborate has to offer. So to give you an example of how I would try to match a face-to-face -face strategy, don't like that word, but a face-to-face -face, um, activity or pedagogy to something that BB Collaborate offered, um, usually in a two-hour seminar with students, you would um, talk to them about the reading or uh, key concepts for that week, and then you'd ask them to pair up with each other. So think, pair, share, or you'd get them into groups, three or four students, where you set them a couple of questions and ask them to identify someone who's going to write all their ideas down, and then uh, a spokesperson. And so after eight minutes of group work, engaging with key concepts and readings, um, then one person would take responsibility for presenting it to the group as a whole. So it's a really nice way when you're working face-to-face -face with students to take the attention away from the tutor up the front of the room. And they're learning also to relate to their peers as legitimate sources of knowledge. And just the, the process of learning from other students who are in the same position as themselves about how others are thinking and then getting them to engage, compare other people's perspectives with their own is uh, really important and it contributes a lot to motivation, promoting motivation and self-directed learning. So how do you do that on the cloud? Uh, it's really tough, but EB Collaborate does have breakout rooms and I didn't know very much about that at first and actually was still learning about the functionality of that uh, right up at the end of trimester one. But basically I would use EB Collaborate uh, to split the class up into smaller groups because I think that that's a really important part of working for me, of um, working online, is to try as much as possible to shift the responsibility for talking and learning about concepts onto students themselves. So I think that that's an example of how we were challenged, I think, as casual academics who usually teach face-to-face, -face, how we were challenged to try and preserve and protect the student experience as it went online, because I think um, there's a danger with, uh, with the shift to online learning, a rapid one where you have staff who don't ordinarily work in that space, that the student experience and the, and the tutor experience might be adversely affected unless you are presented with or figure out and develop for yourself ways to promote um, self-directed learning on the part of students where they're not overly dependent on the tutor. Audrey, so you referred to being a sessional um, teacher. So of course you're employed on a, on a casual basis. Um, do you think this impacted how easily you were able to transition your teaching online? Do you think the experience was different for you um, and perhaps other sessionals than it might've been for ongoing staff? So I think for casuals, um, it was easy enough to access training. We had emails coming out to us but what was maybe less easy as a casual was to know where to draw the line about how much um, training you would sign up for. Because the truth of the matter is that we weren't paid as casuals to do the training that was necessary to support an effective transition to online teaching. And so as a casual, even when you're on campus and when you're not online, um, you're continually walking a fine line between doing as much work as possible to support a quality educative experience for students, but on the other hand, um, drawing a line such that you're not doing too much unpaid work. So when you ask the question, how easily 
can you transition your teaching online? I think the key question for sessionals, for casual academics who do do most of the teaching at Deakin and throughout universities in Australia is um, I must navigate this line between doing quality work but also um, not being exploited by doing too much unpaid work. So that's probably, I think you'd find that with a lot of professionals, that that's the problem. And of course, that was really difficult. Navigating that line is tricky enough in the on-campus context, but going online, uh, students often don't speak up in the online learning context. And so their questions that they might um, be posing during the class in the on-campus context they might leave it right to the end of the BB Collaborate seminar where you're just about to leave, but they're hanging around at the end or they're coming early uh, or they're emailing you um, after class. So email is a friend and a foe for casual academics who teach because on the one hand, it's kind of need to make sure that you're contacting students. Um, do you need to? It might be a good idea, I don't want to you know, suggest that anyone has to do this, but I did find that with the cohorts who I was working with online this trimester, the ones that I had made sure that I emailed before um, classes started and was in contact with them, they tended to be more connected to the learning experience. That may have had to do with who they were, maybe. Maybe it might not have just been down to me emailing them at, um, regularly at the start. But in terms of engagement, uh, attendance and um, retention of students and also um, picking up students who may have not come to the first three or four seminars, but because you're emailing them, they come along, emails are important. But having said that, as casual academics, we're not paid for that time that we spend doing emailing. So we get paid three hours for the preparatory work for the seminar, but often um, a lot of other unseen work bleeds into uh, the rest of our week such that we're answering emails all the time. So, yeah, so navigating that line that I mentioned before between doing the work that you want to do for students to promote that quality experience, but at the same time practicing self-care and self-discipline about the amount of work that you're doing such that you're not doing unpaid work, but also such that you're leaving time to do your own research because casual academics, I'm an early career researcher, we are also having to balance um, the responsibility of, of continually updating our knowledge in our own discipline and also writing papers and um, staying connected to professional organisations related to our discipline. Thinking about your experience this trimester, how has it influenced the way you might approach your teaching in the future? What will you leave behind as soon as we can get back on campus and get back to teaching face-to-face? -face? And what might you continue to do um, post-COVID-19 in your teaching? Yeah, something that really came out for us all, I think, was just how much in many ways we depend on that interaction, that personal interaction with our students as something that makes the job of working at Deakin and in higher education worthwhile. So that's something that I will take back into teaching face-to-face. -face. But, you know, surprisingly, going online wasn't wholly negative. I did find, on the one hand, I was struggling often with um, trying not to allow the online seminar to be teacher-focused. I think that's one of the main challenges. Maybe I didn't mention it before. 
but when you've got a seminar and there's 20 students in the online seminar uh, and they don't have their video on, they don't have their mic on, um, they don't even have a profile image, even a bitmoji, they don't have that. Uh, sometimes you can feel, I'm not the only one who said this, that you're speaking into a void. <laughs> um, and then sort of desperately asking one student who often speaks to like engage with you. So it could be a bit tutor-centred, um, facilitator-centred. But having said that, when you kind of have not a captive audience, when you're in that environment, that online EB Collaborate seminar and you're speaking to slides, uh, in many ways the students seem to be um, much more focused at times. Um, on what you were saying and sort of taking it in and bearing in mind their context, they're probably in their bedroom. When they did turn their screen on, some of them would be on their bed watching. For wherever they are, they're all focused on you as a teacher and what you're saying. And if you've thought about it enough in advance, I think it can be quite um, a focused experience. But then it's balancing that against, I guess, the needing to support them to interact with each other in things like breakout rooms and learning from each other. I guess I would be wanting to think when I go back to face-to-face -to -face teaching online, how can I promote that kind of intense focus that online seminars can promote? Um, there was one other thing that I wanted to... Yeah, so another thing that really came out for me, in addition to what I felt, the kind of um, the light bulb moment of realising that part of the joy of the work that we do comes from the interaction with students, uh, was also realising what's really valued by students themselves. So something, the feedback that we were getting from students this past trimester was how much they valued the opportunity to make friends and um, to create relationships with other students and unfortunately, sadly, that insight into what students value came out because they felt that they were missing that through the transition online. Um, this is slightly different to the question you asked, Joe, about what I take into face-to-face -face teaching. But what I will take into Try2 teaching from Try1 teaching is this, this awareness of the importance that students place on that opportunity to make friendships and create relationships. And that is important for them um, and it's connected to learning because that's what helps to promote their motivation. I found last trimester that those students who felt more connected to each other, as well as to me, tended to come along more. Um, and also students who <clears throat> maybe hadn't come along at all much and then came into a seminar where students were regularly coming would pick up on the fact that these students were regular attendees and that kind of environment, that kind of ethos or mood or whatever. And so that helps with retention. Um, and, you know, towards the end of trimester, I think it also helped with students being more happy to talk and discuss and answer your questions without me having to coax it out of them. So, yeah, it's really retention, getting assignments in on time, uh, creating a learning community. These are all important things and are just as important, I think, as cognitive learning, the sorts of concepts that we're introducing them to. So first seminar for me online in Try2 will be just as much as a focus on the key concepts of the unit. I will be focusing on activities that help students to get to know each other, create relationships, 
try as much as possible to move the focus away from me onto them because we will be working in much larger seminar sizes. I've got uh, one unit that I'm teaching into with 40 students, which is double the size of the seminars from try one. So for example, I'm gonna ask students to uh, choose a Bitmoji for themselves, which is actually something that we heard from your team, Joe. That was a really valuable bit of advice that you gave us. It makes such a difference for students to have uh, an image of the tutor that they can see, but equally of themselves, I think, and that's really important. Um, so I'll be focusing on those sorts of things in the first seminar. So getting, that was a bit of a roundabout answer to your original question, which is, well, how will you take what you learnt from moving online rapidly back into face-to-face -face teaching? But what I will take back with me is an appreciation of how much the motivation to work the desire on the part of the unit chair and the tutor is dependent on that relationship with our students. So that's a more of a positive growth mindset than a deficit mindset. And that's been part of a big learning curve, I think, for me and others. And part of that appreciation, I think, must necessarily involve seeking to understand more what my students are getting out of each seminar um, so asking them more questions, not just to ascertain whether they're learning the concept of the unit that I'm teaching into, but also asking them for feedback about, well, what meaning do they place on that? I think that if we're only focusing on their grasp of the concept, then we're just, it's like we're saying, hey, just learn this so that you can do well on the assessment. And we're not allowing them space to consider, well, what meaning does this have for me in my life at this time? So I think that as a, as a tutor, to really appreciate that relationship, that I have to be a student myself in many ways. My students have to be teaching me as well about what's meaningful for them about the concepts that we're learning for their experience right now. And the other thing that I will take back with me to face-to-face -face teaching is an appreciation of the fact that the students are there to learn about themselves, really, about their identity, um, to create friendships, which is important for identity, um, to create friendships as well, not just as a kind of optional add-on, as a sort of cherry on top, as window dressing, but is actually really central to what we're doing together, I think. I didn't really speak to it before, but you asked me about what my units are about uh, that I teach into, and they are about um, often about dem democratic education, uh, which is about community-based learning, according to Dewey, which is who's my main theorist. But it's also about identity. And um, one of my favorite theorists, and a lot of my unit chairs' favorite theorists too, is a guy called Henry Giroux, who's a critical pedagogy, pedagogy um, democratic educator. And Giroux said that what we're facing now is not an illiteracy of the word, an inability to read and write, but rather an illiteracy of the world, which he says is an inability to understand and interpret and read the world around us. So going back into face-to-face -face teaching down the road sometime, maybe in 21, but also going back into online teaching, try to, I think that for me, what's really important about university teaching is equipping students with the ability to interpret a world, um, which is often manipulative and distortive and disempowering. Um, and I think that that's a really important part of identity. And identity um, that's community-based 
is about people getting together and exchanging ideas and figuring out how to navigate tricky times like the ones that we find ourselves in right now. I think that that focus on connection, you've referred to it a few times, is is really important. That connection with you as as the teacher, as the tutor, connection with others. And I think it probably also fits in with that idea of literacy of the world as well, being able to understand other people's perspectives and um, kind of widen your perspective of how things work through that. And it just it plays such a huge role in in student learning. And I think speaking to teaching staff moving online that that is one it is a common challenge of when you you move online people are concerned about how am I going to have those connections and form those connections and I think as as you've highlighted through your experience this trimester um, it can be done online but you do need to think about it and approach it in a different way and I think that was one of the big challenges for a lot of staff this trimester in that the the transition happened so rapidly that there wasn't that time to plan and design new approaches. Um, it was kind of balancing the the practical with with the ideal and doing what what we could um, under some significant constraints there. So thinking back on the trimester and that real teaching transformation that you went through. What advice would you have for for other staff navigating a a similar transformation, Um, whether it's other sessional teachers in a similar position to you, but um, more broadly as well, and also unit chairs and those of us who are are supporting um, teaching staff and sessional teachers? Yeah, I really like that word transformation. (laughs) I like it because it sort of speaks to that idea of identity and also, I do think, uh, in light of our conversation today, I do think that we did undergo a transformation, all of us, not just in universities. I think in that transformation consisting of an appreciation of what we previously took for granted, having taken away from us, suddenly brought out what's really important for us. I think when it comes to uh, what can other staff learn from my teaching transformation? Going into trimester two, what would be really helpful for sessional staff uh, would be for unit chairs to be clear about what kind of activities worked well for online learning with students. Um, Don't just expect that tutors will have an arsenal of engaging activities that will get students involved. When you're having the O-week briefing session, part of that should be here's some activities that work really well with students so it's in unit chairs interests to be explicit about that because those activities that engage have worked well best practice um, help for retention of students and keeping them involved so beyond being clear about what you're asking as a unit chair sessionals to do i think uh, actually so what tutors can do to help unit chairs is to be really clear in the questions that you're asking. Um, unit chairs have ongoing staff, have a lot of competing demands on their time. Um, they might forget to say, okay, well, this is how much time we've got allocated for our um, moderation. So come prepared, I guess, as a sessional staff to those briefing meetings with questions that are going to make as clear as possible for you how much time you're going to be paid for. Aside from being really clear about hours and paid work for hours, I think that's something would be that would be really good. A new initiative specifically at this juncture would be for unit chairs to consult tutors 
in, in many ways a bit like what you're doing, Joe, with me now, um, about our experience of moving teaching online. And I think that this needs to be actually a faculty initiative, something that the faculty takes charge of, because we did undergo this teaching transformation and we did learn a lot. Um, and I'm talking to you now about what I learned about the importance of connectedness. So that is a really important resource, I think, and, and sessionals should be consulted for that. And it should be faculty based because sessionals should also be paid for sharing our expertise, which will inform because what we've done in try one and what we do in try two will necessarily inform for better or worse, the next phase that Deakin goes into, whether that continues partially online or whether partially goes back face to face, because we just don't know what trimester one next year will look like. But whatever it looks like, if it's going to be effective and if it's going to support student experience and promote staff morale and engagement and optimal work output, to use a technical phrase that sounds dreadful, but if, it's, if we're going to have all of those outcomes, then it needs to be based on consultation and an appreciation and valuing of the expertise of all staff. So not just sessionals, not just academic casuals, but also professional staff. Um, who contribute to the life of the university. So I think consultation is a really important thing. And I think that speaks to a holistic understanding of teaching transformation and identity and critically reading the world that we're in. And if we're going to navigate post-COVID well, then we really need to be thinking seriously about being more engaging of those who ordinarily in the past haven't had a voice in the operation of the university. And so it might require us as staff to also be thinking much more about the student input and student voice in the things that we do and why we do them. Audrey, as you were speaking, I was reflecting on the fact that there's things that we can take from what we do from our students and apply it to our own practice as well, because we're so careful about making sure we t talk to students about the expectation of time and the expectations of a particular task, but we don't necessarily apply it to our own practice and our own behaviours as well, thinking of, okay, what am I going to put into this? What do I need to do? What boundaries am I going to put in place so that I can continue to manage and balance all of my other commitments as well? But also then we got back to the connectedness and we um, we encourage our students to connect with us and with each other um, and share their experiences and share their perspectives. But I think we often forget to do that ourselves with our peers and we forget to share what's worked for us and talk to peers about the challenges that we're having. And I think that's so important, particularly at the moment, making that space for us to be able to connect with each other and talk about our experiences, consult, get new ideas and share what works and what doesn't. So I think that's probably a beautiful note for us to end on, Audrey. But just before we do wrap up, I just want to um, ask, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we go? Yeah, I just remembered something, um, the question you asked about what I would take going forward from what I've learnt going online rapidly. The use of connecting tools or technology for connecting with others like Zoom and why is that important? It's not important in and of itself, but it's important for what it can promote. That is uh, engagement with each other. Zoom is so easy to, it's such an easy way of connecting. So something that I will take into face-to-face -face teaching will be um, encouraging students, for example, to use Zoom to connect with each other for group activities um, 
outside of the class. But as you said, Joe, the things that we ask students to do, we often don't think to bring that back and apply to our own way of being, so to speak. But another thing that I will take would be placing an importance on consulting or getting feedback, uh, exchanging ideas with peers. And then, of course, for sessionals, there'll also be that line of, well, not doing it too much, I guess, because why are you doing it? Um, being clear about that. Yeah, so there's, there's lots of things that have come out of the rapid shift to online learning, the importance of connectedness, but also experience with how to use the tools that promote connectedness, including BB Collaborate and Zoom. An even better note to end on. Audrey, thank you so much for, for joining us and to share your experience of a teaching transformation. It certainly sounds transformative for you and for your students. Um, and best of luck for next trimester. Thanks, Joe.